This is part one of a two-part series podcast with Dr. Dorian Hunter. This is part one of episode 39. We've had seven months now to get used to the new normal. Between the pandemic, life in quarantine, the mask debate, civil unrest, the kids at home, working remotely or trying to work remotely or not working remotely, the economy is shifting, the election is coming up and the news is constantly telling us it is the worst of times. What the hell is normal? And how do we cope with a life that is so far from normal, let alone thrive? The climb to the top feels so good when you get there. Is it just us or can it feel lonely sometimes, even when you're successful? And who defines success anyway? What about life's twists and turns? We've learned a few things along the way, and we're ditching the culture of competitiveness. Bringing together women from different backgrounds to share their stories. Let's do this together. Welcome to Think Tank of Three podcast. Hi, this is Audrey Fink here with Rishia Candidate Kapasuris and Julie Holton. We are your Think Tank of Three, and we are welcoming back our dear friend, Dr. Dorian Hunter. She's going to talk to us about mental health. Why right now is so hard on us, the tools we can use to build some resiliency, and how to have a little self-compassion. Dorian, your first episode with us, episode eight, is still one of my absolute favorites. And you guys, I can't wait for you to get to know her a little bit more today as we talk about all of this. Dorian is a clinical psychologist. She primarily treats people who are struggling with intense thoughts, emotions, and behaviors that really feel out of their control. Sound familiar, anyone? Dorian focuses on fueling change internal and external, and teaching skills that help support adjustments that people want to make in their lives. She currently provides clinical care, teaches, provides clinical supervision, and serves as a consultant to therapists who want to effectively implement behavioral interventions. As Julie mentioned, Dorian was our guest on episode eight, Building Your Confidence, which not only is our favorite, but also happens to be one of the most popular episodes on this podcast. So Dorian, welcome back and thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here with you all. This is a hugely important topic. I've noticed with clients, with clinicians I teach and consult with in the lives of people I love and my own life, everyone has been touched on some level by knowing someone or being somebody who has had a huge dip in mood and motivation. So I am really looking forward to talking with you all about the dip in mood that people are experiencing. Sometimes it looks like not wanting to do things, feeling bored, feeling restless, sometimes sad, sometimes sadness doesn't show up. There's still this mood dip and lack of motivation. So I'm excited to talk about how to combat the blues in a pretty bluesy time. And that is exactly one of the reasons that I originally went to Julie and Audria and said, listen, we have to address the huge scale of what is 2020. There's simply too much going on right now from the pandemic, Black Lives Matter, for us to ignore how hard the world is being on our mental health. So then the big question though is, what makes the world today, 2020, so much more difficult than our typical mental health issues that we have been battling with our entire lives. Yeah, I think this is a, an important thing to dive into in part because I've noticed some people are invalidating themselves and saying things like, my life is pretty good and why, why should I be feeling down? Why should I be having a hard time motivating myself? The first thing I wanna say is that it's totally normal 
that many, many people are struggling now, not everyone, but many people. The reasons that I think that is, is that the things that are normal that help us offset having a, a hard day or having hard things happen in our lives have largely been taken away. We're getting some of them back, but there was at least a period of time where they were entirely removed for some people. So things like seeing people regularly, being able to have contact with people and face-to-face -face in particular. It even, I, I've noticed this, even when I, for example, see people that I care about, I can't hug them without having some sort of barrier. There's an awkwardness around it that never used to be there. Right. Like even when we want to be able to wrap our arms around someone and just give them a hug, there's that reminder of, nope, we're not supposed to hug people. We're supposed to keep our distance. Uh -huh. Yeah. Like it feels bad. And there's like guilt. If I hug someone, then I'm like, oof, am I putting them at risk? But also if I don't hug someone, I think I'm like, I'm mad at them. Or is it weird? I mean, I think Dorian and I, we've kind of kept each other in the COVID bubble, but at the same time, like when we first were hanging out, after COVID hit, like we didn't hug. And that's so weird for us because we're both such touchy people. And even now, it, this is okay. How do you deal with that? Because there are a couple of different sides to that. I'm married, I have two kids. So I'm getting my hugs and my love from my children and my husband regularly. And I'm enjoying it and the kisses and the cuddles. But I have very close friends, my sisters, that I have not had the ability to communicate with like we used to, like we were just discussing, hugging. What is that doing to us? Yeah, I think for all of us, this is a very basic human need, physical touch and connection with each other. And one of the things that I think is really important is acknowledging that this is a huge loss and really coping with the reality as it is, not saying to ourselves, you know, I can still talk with them on the phone, so I shouldn't be upset really validating that we've lost an important part of connection with people. That being said, I do think that people are really on the whole pretty resilient and we can start making new rituals. I love the elbow bump that people do, like how, how creative we are in making sure that we're still acknowledging each other and having meaningful connection with each other. I love what you keep saying too about validating our feelings. And maybe you can expand on that for a bit because I think it is so human of us to whatever, to, to say to whatever we're experiencing, oh, but someone else has it worse. And while that's true, it's so important for us to pause and remember, no, it's okay to feel what you're feeling. In fact, it's more than okay. Feel what you're feeling. But what are some coping you know, mechanisms that we can use to really talk ourselves through that when we start to have thoughts that make us feel like we're less than what we're feeling. Yes. This goes to the topic of self-compassion, right? That there is a way that we can talk to ourselves that is harsh and judgmental. And there's a way that we can talk to ourselves that's understanding. So validation is essentially saying it's understandable why you're doing what you're doing, why you're feeling what you're feeling. And it makes sense. It's not abnormal. It's not not understandable. So I think about this with self-compassion, that self-compassion is not the same thing as self-esteem. I think sometimes people try to combat feeling bad about themselves, the self-judgments that they have with, you know, actually I'm good in these other ways. And this just becomes sort of this tense back and forth battle within people that am I good or am I bad? And self-compassion steps outside of this question, am I good or bad? And just says, I am. I am. I'm a person. And it makes sense why I'm struggling and acknowledges that 
the most normal thing in being human is to struggle. In preparing for this podcast recording, I was reading some articles. The Washington Post came out with an article basically said that the coronavirus pandemic is pushing America into a mental health care crisis. According to Kaiser, they did a poll and over half of Americans are reporting that this pandemic is harming their mental health. And there are companies like Talkspace, I think is one of them, which is like a text phone therapy. They've seen a 65% jump in their clients just since February. If they look through what the content of those sessions are, it's primarily based on coronavirus. It's, It's affecting a lot of people. We're seeing the increase in medications go up along with it, 34% jump just since March in prescription of anti-anxiety, 18% jump in antidepressants, and then a 15% jump in anti-insomnia meds just during this pandemic. This point about self-compassion and listening to yourself and feeling your feelings, I think is really important. We're, you're not alone in feeling this it's its own pandemic alongside of coronavirus and potentially impacting more people than the COVID viruses. Absolutely. I've been thinking a lot about what the long-term effects of this will be on mental health and mortality, independent of actually being harmed by the virus itself. I'm thinking about how it's impacted all of us in some way in terms of needing to protect ourselves and the public and all of the ripple effects that we'll have. I've also heard about some positive things coming out of this. Like I've got clients in my practice who have had a huge shift in the way they see the world. And rather than sort of pushing themselves outside of their box all the time, the box feels smaller and it feels like it fits for them better. Being at home, doing Zoom meetings most of the time actually feels good for them, feels right for them. The other things are... Like I think a lot about how it's stretching our brains. And I heard this podcast the other day that we're all being challenged in new ways that are ultimately maybe have benefits for us that may be good for us. Julia talked about the validating and you were talking about the validating, recognizing those emotions and realizing that you have them and that's okay. But there's also we sometimes, I know I've done it, probably most people have it some way, shape or form, really start to internalize that. How do you stop yourself from going down into that rabbit hole of what's going on? This is how I'm feeling. I'm, I'm heartbroken. I find myself, I'll start crying and didn't, you know, I'm feeling emotions that I I didn't realize that I had and can hear my son say, this is the worst year ever because, you know, he's nine and he sees that we didn't get to go to Disneyland and we didn't get to go see grandma and we didn't get to go to Canada to see the grandparents. So that's his perspective. But me as the adult needs to find another way. And it's not always easy because I'm sitting there with a mic. I'm with you. You're right. (laughs) But I don't want to I don't want to keep encouraging that. I I shouldn't be encouraging that. How do you keep yourself from going down into that rabbit hole and trying to find, for lack of a better term, a silver lining? I'll answer your question first with a metaphor. So let's say you are metaphorically at home and a painful emotion comes knocking at your door. What do you do? How do you respond to the pain? I mean, I would not answer the door. Yeah, you block that door. Right, if you, you know, know that, that that's what it is. Yeah. It depends you- on what mood I'm in, because I might answer the door and like really give them a bashing. Like, <laughs> you catch me at the wrong time. Well, right, come on, ladies. Like, you know what I mean. 
you might fight it. You I might, might have a few fighting. Yeah, a few fighting words, or I might yeah. pull an Audrey and just not answer the door. Yeah. So you can. We think about these as like two classes of behaviors you can engage in. One is blocking the door, fighting it, pushing it away. It's stronger than you are, so it's coming in. What do you do? Open the door and talk to it, I guess. Open the door and talk to it. Because the other side is that we can open the door, invite it in, run away with it, get really involved with it in ways that may not be helpful either. Mm -hmm. So the metaphor, I call it my drinking tea metaphor. You open the door, invite it in, make it a cup of tea and ask it what it wants. You don't necessarily do what it wants, but you listen to it. There are things that we can do when we have found ourselves either fighting it, blocking it, pushing it away, mindfulness of sensations in our bodies to let it in at least some. And then there are other things that we can do if we found that we have run away with it. We're like going to Vegas to get married. You can do things like there's the two minute rule. So running away with it often takes the form of rumination, which means to mm. chew, like it's chewing on thoughts where you're really stuck in it and, and you're all wrapped up with it. And you set a timer, literally set a timer for two minutes. You allow yourself to ruminate about it for two minutes. And if you haven't solved the problem you're thinking about or haven't gained new perspective, it's not, nothing's improved by thinking about it. You get your two minutes and then you go do something else. You get out of your head. I love this idea of the two minute timer. So this is a really silly example of it, but when I saw that Ruth Ginsburg Bader had died, I was very upset. One, because she's amazing and who doesn't want her to still be around for so many reasons. But then the other thing I kept seeing was people post things about how we shouldn't replace her until the, the election is over, which I actually think is incorrect. I thought it was incorrect when the Republicans tried to do it to Obama. I think it's incorrect now. Constitutionally speaking, Trump has a right to replace her. And this is not a political podcast. I'm just saying like the, the legality of it is there. And the reason I tell you this is not because that is important at all, but because I spent probably half a day going over the like, I don't want her replaced. And also like the rule says it's okay, but I don't want, at the end of the day, I was talking to a friend and she was like, why are you still thinking about this? First of all, you don't make these decisions at all. And second of all, doesn't actually impact your, I mean, like you should feel these things, you should be sorry, angry, whatever, but like, why are you sitting here going back and forth being upset because she's gone and also being upset because someone's saying we shouldn't replace her? These things are useless in your brain, useless energy, lost half a day being upset. Yeah. And I think about this sometimes with what you haven't done in that scenario is done anything to solve the problem. Right. Right. And so I think a huge part, and this is a huge part of depression treatment, at least the depression treatment I do, is to get people to actively solve problems rather than sort of bathe in rumination and misery. So getting up out of that bathtub that you're in there with the misery and going out and doing something. And there are a few different ways to solve this. So like I think about people, I have a lot of people now who are obsessed with the news mm -hmm. and it, it's like they have an IV they're just exposed to it all the time. Yeah. Risha's yeah. over here being That's like, me. oh, that would be me. That's me. Yeah. I, I have been told to turn the news off and I said, but it's like that traffic accident for me. Yeah, I just- You're rubbernecking. I, yeah, I know. Yeah. So what impact does it have on you if you're watching the news all the time or reading? It's, it's not good because I stay in this state of frustration and anger and sadness and- it's not helping my mental 
stratosphere. And I know it's not helping because I have friends who said, oh, I haven't watched the news in a week and life is beautiful. I am on the opposite end of that though. I am fully avoiding it. Like when I said I wasn't opening the door, I was not opening the door. Maybe that's part of why the like the Ruth thing hit me is it was a big piece of news that finally got through the like sand I had been dunking my head in because it just got too overwhelming to participate. People who know me well know that I'm forever talking about balancing things that are opposites and finding equilibrium and honoring the truth and things like what you were talking about earlier, Audrea, the balancing on the one hand, not wanting her to be gone. And on the other hand saying, and le legally he has the right to replace her. Right. So that's, there's truth in both of those perspectives. So balancing opposites sort of leads down the road of what can I do about the news? What can I do to stay informed on the one hand, which is an important thing to do maybe from a values perspective, like it's meaningful to me to know what's going on and to be invested in people whose lives are similar or different from mine, however it may be. And on the other hand, recognizing that for many people being really invested in the news doesn't add value to anyone's life and may make us less effective than if we spend 10 minutes a day catching up and then we spend the rest of the day doing something active that may help solve problems. And those are very different things. Like one, one has you mired in the misery and the other has you relieving misery of yourself and other people. What are you doing to help the situation? Because I know the, one of the, the balance issues I have specifically with regards to Black Lives Matter, I can't turn Black off. Yeah. Those issues are issues that I wake up with, I go to sleep with, regardless of whether or not I turn the news on. I have an older brother, I, you know, my father. I, I have those individuals that have dealt with issues within law enforcement. I'm raising a son where I, I will have to have the talk with him that an entire half of society doesn't have to have. Mm -hmm. So there's that other aspect of things. So on one and you're right, I got, I got to, I've got to turn some of this off. And, and even my, my other friends of color are the same way. We can't sit there locked in on the news, but then I, I also am saying I can't, but but you can't, can't turn it off either. I can't turn it off either. Mm -hmm. Even when I've turned off the news, what's going on out there is, is, is sitting with me regularly. False to you, right? And I think this, what I like about this is this is a balance between accepting reality. The fact is that there are many, many people who are suffering that we could do active things that would reduce the suffering. Like there are steps we could take. And part of that reality is that the people who have power to make changes are not doing that. All of that is a reality to accept. Coping with reality as it is means that you have the ability to then actively make changes. So like I was saying, turning off the news may fit with your values and it may not fit with your values, but finding some balance around it probably is the right angle. Know what's going on and then make steps to make it different. I think that's so key, Dorian, and, and Risha, to your point too, and what you're saying, I think for myself personally, I think I feel the worst 
when I'm not doing something about whatever it is I'm feeling. So it might be, you know, related to my business or to my clients who are suffering during the pandemic. It might be related to the mask debate. It might be related to Black Lives Matter. And obviously with each one of these topics growing larger and larger in scope, there's only so much we can do to affect change on the level where we'd like to, right? Like we'd all like to go in and change the system. Not that I necessarily know how to do that or where to begin, but I really wish that I had some control in it. That would make me feel probably much better, but I don't. And so depending on what we're talking about, the size and scope of what actions we can take will vary. But I think finding within our circles, finding people who we can connect with on these deeper levels, we can have conversations like this. The group of us, we were talking before we started recording about just how heavy all of this can seem. And Rishia, a couple of weeks ago, when you texted Audrey and I, and you're like, hey, do you, do you guys have a couple of minutes? Can we talk about fitting in you know, some more podcast topics this year? You know, We immediately got on a, on a Zoom call and that turned into kind of our own mini therapy session because we just needed to talk through, yeah, these are all the things we're feeling. Now, what are we going to do about it? And so in our own way, yeah, in our own way, even sometimes just talking about these things with like-minded people, I think that it is important sometimes to have those like-minded people when it comes to our own mental health, because if we talk to someone who we know is not going to be supportive, or we know is not feeling things similar to what we're feeling or cannot nurture the, the emotions we're having, then that can set us back even more. <laughs> and so I, you know, and I've seen that play out with some friends who, and family members who have a great support system during this pandemic, and then others who don't maybe have the support system. So Dorian, how do we adjust our tactics in finding that right support system or the right people? What does that look like? What can we do to help us cope through these emotions? So that brings up in my mind the three P's of how to combat low mood and P's as in the letter P. And the biggest one, at least from my point of view, maybe from most people's points of view is people. That if we want to reduce depression or increase our moods, however you want to phrase it, making sure that you have people that you have a sense of like meaningful connection with. We can all be out or around people where it's not, it's not actually fulfilling connection. But like you were saying, finding people who we can either have a different perspective from and still connect or who think the same way we do have similar values to us and making sure that we're not, as we can't be as close in physical proximity with them as we want to be, we used to be, we can still connect in some meaningful way, like getting on the phone, going for walks, things like that. The other two P's I'll talk about are pursuit and pleasure. Pleasure is all I want now. (laughs) I want the wine. I want the chocolate. I want the junk food. I want a massage every day. I have too much pleasure. Yeah. So thinking about balance again, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but all things in moderation, or at least being aware of the tension is really important. The Pleasure as avoidance is different than deliberately engaging in pleasant events to soothe ourselves, to regulate our emotions, to improve our lives. Those are very different things. So I would say if anyone is engaging in distraction, avoidance all the time, they're not doing things to solve the problems that are real. 
So if I, for example, have a sink full of dishes and the sink gets more and more full every day and I'm like, well, I don't want to deal with those dishes. That sounds miserable. And instead I use my massage gun and I'm just using the massage gun all the time. The problems are going to get worse and my mood probably won't improve. I'll have a sink overflowing with dishes. They're going to take over the house if I had enough dishes to do that. You have to take the action step. Exactly. Lessen the burden. Because if you don't get in there and at least put five of the 25 plates in the dishwasher or wash them, 25 becomes 30. Yeah. And then it becomes too much of a burden. It becomes too you overwhelmed with, now what do I do? Yeah. This reminds me of a discussion Julie and I were having about self-care. And sometimes self-care is the ugly, uncomfortable things you do, like building your budget instead of going out and getting that mani-pedi. I am not building my budget. I will be getting the mani and petty. Thank you very much. With my massage gun, <laughs> which I highly recommend. It's on Amazon. <laughs> my calves have never felt so good. You're right though. Self-care looks, I mean, it has so many different forms and we really have to, I feel like almost on a daily, sometimes an hourly basis, depending on the day, figure out what kind of timeouts we need to give ourselves for self-care because there is so much happening. And I want to take a moment, you know, we've talked a lot kind of in general overall about the situations that people are going through and Risha, if you don't mind, I want to, I want to focus in a little bit for a moment on on the racial injustice and dealing with that. Because I think that, you know, the reality is for a group of people in our country, this has been an extremely trying time, more so than, than I can understand as a white, as a white woman. Um, because we have all of these complex traumas happening one on top of the other, just layering on top of the other. And so I really would like to, Dorian, get your, your thoughts on this. Because I think we have, we have people who prior to, you know, mid-March, they, they were dealing with life, but they might've had other issues. We still had issues with kids. We still had issues with work. We had, you know, we had other life issues we were dealing with. And then suddenly mid-March hits and we have this, you know, shutdown that, that begins. So then from COVID, we just, we've had one thing after another in our country happen. And I can only imagine that the emotions that have been building up from the previous traumas are adding to what we're now experiencing. But then I look at, uh, you know, our beautiful co-host, Rishia, this wife, mother of two, who's now going through COVID, dealing with the school issues, you know, to go to school or not to go to school and what that looks like and all of those complex decisions. She said she can't take black off when she, you know, gets up in the morning. It's, it's always there, nor would she want to, right? Let's, exactly. let's say that. Let's say that here. right now. I am um, black and I am proud. Damn it. Absolutely. <laughs> The issues that come with it, however, no one would choose or choose for you. Dorian, so coming, I don't even know how to frame this as a question. I just feel like there are so many traumas adding up and I want to recognize what is happening for some of our listeners, our own Rishia here. You know, how do we even begin to deal with peeling back these layers and dealing with all of the emotions that come with them? Yeah. Thank you for bringing this up. I have a few clients of color who have had very, very different reactions to what's happening with the Black Lives Matter movement. Of other people I know, that's true too. So it's not just in a clinical population, like people are having very different responses. What I've heard maybe overwhelmingly from my Black friends and clients is that this is not new. 
This is not anything new. This is really old. And it's something that from my point of view is a really good thing, the Black Lives Matter movement, because it's bringing attention to something that has not been attended to the way we would want it to be. People still look away, people still push it aside, people still say things like all lives matter. I know this is not a political podcast. I will try and keep my rants to myself. But I do think that one of the benefits of COVID is that people are stuck in their houses and they are reading the news. They are paying attention to what's happening. People have maybe some more time to be protesting. And you know, I think it's been a huge loss in terms of resources for many people. But for many people too, there's more space to pay attention to what matters. And so I think that's been a really, like a really beneficial thing. I agree with that wholeheartedly because as you said, for Black Americans, this, what's happening out in, in, in the real world isn't new. People yeah. have been talking about it for forever. So I've had this conversation with my friends with these beautiful ladies here as well. And it's one of the, the great aspects that I've noticed one of my good friends, she was walk on a walk with her husband and she said, my husband and I were walking down the street one day and just taking a nice little stroll. And he looked at me and he said, I'm wearing sweatpants and a t-shirt and I'm walking with my wife and there's not a problem in the world. And he said, and if my skin were just a little bit darker, someone might throw me a look or be concerned that I'm walking down the street in a pair of sweatpants and a t-shirt. Mm-hmm. And he said, and that to him, was profound because he'd never thought about it before, never, ever entered his mind. And that's what I think in agreement with you, Dorian, with regards to when you are stuck at home and forced to open your eyes and see, because you don't have all of these other things going on. You don't have this meeting over there and have to take this kid over there or have to go to this thing over there. You, your whole schedule is no longer so packed that you don't have hardly time to breathe. You didn't have a choice for a long period of time. Things are slowly coming back into people's schedules, my own included, but for a good chunk of time there, you didn't have a choice, but to sit and see. And for the first time, some individuals were like, what, this is happening. And person, they're like, yeah, <laughs> it's what we've been screaming about. So finally, the conversation is happening. The question now becomes, as we come back to what you've mentioned, what are the action steps? How do we take that turn and do the things to, we can't affect the whole world, but we can affect our small part of it, right? So what do we do in all sm- all our small part of it to make it better, to recognize, yes, we know that all lives matter. No one ever said all lives didn't matter. What we were saying is black lives matter too. They are just as important as every other human being here. And once we get people recognizing that instead of the defense of, oh, but all lives matter, that let, let's peel that away and recognize that we're talking about what's been missing, what has been overlooked. It's tough stuff, but that's the other side of it. You have to have the uncomfortable conversation if you want to make it better. And I think that's the part that makes these conversations so difficult is it's so easy to shut off that narrative by getting defensive. Well, all lives matter. Okay. Why do you feel the need to say that? And I think that's something that this is not the main point of our 
conversation, but I, I saw this post that talked about you're not struggling in 2020 because you're home. You're struggling in 2020 because you're not distracted and you have to face all the feelings that you have while you're home. And I think that goes to this topic of Black Lives Matter has been, matters has been around. It's not brand new. It's just getting some publicity now because we all were finally home and stopped to face it. It is so built into us in our culture to say, I don't want to open the door to that. I don't want to look at it. I'm going to get defensive. I'm going to push it back. There's this horrible thing happening to a large population of our country and we're closing the door on it. And I'm just as guilty as anyone else in doing that. I think we're finally at this point where we're like, oh, it's coming through the door whether you want it to or not. And we have to deal with it. And some people deal with it by going, oh my God, this is profound. And I'm going to try and I'm going to educate myself and I'm going to get involved. And some people deal with it by hiding their heads in the sand. And some people deal with it by getting defensive. I think this goes back to, it's really important to feel your feelings and to recognize them and to think, okay, if my first thought is all lives matter, why? Why is it so hard for me to hear Black Lives Matter? Sit with that. Think about it. Why? Yes. And on that personal level too, like mm -hmm. sit by yourself and ask yourself that question instead of debating with whomever on Facebook or wherever you're arguing about it, like sit and ask yourself that. I think that's also why it bothers me when people say, oh, I don't watch the news. It's all bad. You're getting your news from somewhere. You're still getting information. Are you now getting it from Facebook? Are you getting it from Fox News? Are you getting it from CNN? Are you getting it from your neighbor? You're consuming news from somewhere. I completely agree, Dorian, with what you said about balance. We have to balance the negative news that we're getting and the things we're taking in, but we can't just turn it off or pretend to turn it off and just be distracted with life again. I think that's a really important thing to hold in mind is that there's this natural response among people to either get really invested in things that are horrific or to turn a blind eye to things that are horrific. And my point of view is that we're on a public level recognizing horror and it's hard to cope with for any of us. And if you've lived such a life that you don't have to face horrific things that happen, this is new. It's not new for the people who've been experiencing the horror for a long time, but it's new to many people who are not exposed to horrifying things. And so I think part of the conversation has to be about, it. just as Audrey was saying, why is it that people are being defensive? Why are people turning a blind eye? Why am I in part within each of us? Why am I in part saying no to something that is important to look at straight on? Have that cup of tea, as Dr. Have Dorian said. Yeah. Open the door, have that cup of tea and get a little uncomfortable. Yeah. In all honesty, that's what I try to tell everybody. It's you need to be uncomfortable. I told them in that quick uh, message when I texted them that turned into our conversation of change, I said, I have reached a point a long time ago, and I tell this to all my friends, I no longer feel the need to make you comfortable with my discomfort. Yes. So that's where I'm at. <laughs> yeah. the, There's the, some the, lessons to teach us. <laughs> you know, so, and I'm not saying that everybody needs to be all down and with, but you need to recognize there, there's a reason that I am uncomfortable. I've, I've had conversations with people where I, I said, you, you don't understand the amount of accommodation I've given to you. What accommodation? I'm saying I keep myself on balance mm. all day because I need to make sure that angry black woman is not what's recognized. I struggle with this concept so much. I'm so glad you brought it up, Risha. One, I think that 
angry black woman trope is so overused and so annoying and I'm sick of hearing it, but I also know how pervasive it is. Angry woman is the beginning of it. And we just escalate based on like darkness of skin, Mm -hmm. even if you haven't escalated. And I think that this idea of not being allowed to make other people uncomfortable is taught to us as part of that subservient nature. Moderate yourself. And on the flip side, I also believe that in order for people to hear you, you have to be able to speak to them in a way that they can hear. And so I think there's this balance between how do I moderate what I'm saying so that my audience can hear me? If I, if I walk up to someone and start screaming at them, chances are they're not going to care about what I'm saying. The flip side is you can't just say because someone has shown an iota of emotion that they're now a hysterical woman or an angry black woman. And also we have every right to our anger as women. Black women have every right to their anger. Like, where is that balance between I want you to hear me because I want you to hear what I have to say and I'm allowed to be mad. I'm allowed to be angry. You're allowed to be an angry Black woman. We're allowed to be angry. We're allowed to have feelings. We're allowed to have the same emotions as every other man on this planet when they're not, oh, he's an angry man. And they don't say that. (laughs) Well, let's face it. It's just an excuse. Right. If you're saying something I don't want to hear, and I choose to then call you an angry black woman, that's just a way of making it okay that I'm not listening to you. And it's not okay. So many feels on this podcast. (laughs) Dorian, we protect our mental, our mental. Yes, help us here. (laughs) Okay, so. So we've opened Um, up this trough. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know it's like we've we've like peeled back like all these layers, like all the rabbit holes are gaping open now. So how do we like kind of- Walk us through the minefield. (laughs) How do we we pull it together? How do we- How do we protect our mental health? And how do we balance struggling with resiliency? Because we are, I mean, this group of women on this podcast today is a bunch of really strong- smart, articulate, resilient women who are also tired and feeling burnt out and emotionally exhausted and feeling depressed and, 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 and. Yeah, so I'll go back to what I started to talk about before the three Ps and dive into that a little more. On top of that, I think self-compassion is really huge. I can't emphasize it enough. This is part one of a two-part series podcast with Dr. Dorian Hunter, episode 39. Thank you for listening. Be sure to check out the next installment of this two-part series wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or guests you'd like to hear from, send us a message at thinktankof3 at gmail.com. Subscribe to the Think Tank of Three wherever you listen to podcasts and connect with us online. We blog weekly at thinktankof3.com. Follow us on social media. You can find us individually on LinkedIn and as Think Tank of Three on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Women, click to join our private group on Facebook where we can all share advice and articles. And if you liked what you heard in the podcast, share it. You can find Think Tank of Three on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Amazon Music, and SoundCloud.